Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode nine of episodes. Today's episode is from Jamie's perspective and is titled Nice Girl or Not Tim's Dick. I couldn't decide which title to go with, so I chose them both. So in Jamie's last episode, which was episode five, she talks at Starbucks with Sylvie about the Charles situation, and Sylvie advises her to end it, to let it go, although she does understand how torn Jamie is feeling. But as she says, Tim is a good guy, and you don't want to fuck up your whole life for someone you don't even know. So Jamie resolves to end things with Charles that very day, but she wants to do so by phone. So when he texts her, she replies that she wants to talk by phone, and this will mark the first time that they will have spoken live to each other. But you know, Jamie wants to say goodbye and end things as, I guess, fully as possible. So at the end of that episode, Charles does call and she says, hello, ha ha ha, is it me? Never mind, never mind. Okay, so that's where her storyline left off. And here we go. Episode 9, Jamie, Nice Girl, or Not Tim's Dick. Charles, it was great talking to you yesterday. Jamie, it was great talking to you too, smiley face. Charles, your voice is so sexy. Jamie, lol, no it's not. Jamie, and you're breaking the rules. Charles, Yes, your voice is sexy, Ms. Letterhouse, but okay. Oh God, I can hear his voice in my ear now calling me Ms. Letterhouse. Just like that, fountain in my panties, Jesus. But, 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 Charles and I are friends, just friends. That's what we agreed to when we talked live to each other on the phone that first time last week. Hello, I'd said. So you are a real person, Charles had replied jovially, and he'd sounded just like he had in high school, and I'd laughed, and thus had commenced the easiest and coolest and most fun two hours and 12 minutes of phone conversation I've had since, I can't even remember when I've had that much fun on the phone with someone. Tim and I didn't talk on the phone all like that in college. We were together all the time, glued at the hip, unless I was with Sylvie and Connie, but I'd imagined that this is maybe what it would have felt like to talk to him back in high school. I would have been the envy of all the other girls in school, including Natalie Parker, Charles's girlfriend for 11th and 12th grades, head cheerleader, everybody said she looked like Brandy from Boys in the Hood, homecoming queen, blah, blah, blah. She'd been a bitch to me when my gorgeous mother, who was friends with her gorgeous mother, had dragged me to her birthday party. Obviously, Natalie had been gorgeous too, though, and even more obviously, I had not been. I remember wishing upon her then that she'd end up fat and unhappy and burdened with a bunch of kids by a bunch of different fathers, and that wish never changed. I can see why you're so good at sales, I had said midway to Charles through that first conversation. Oh, really? He'd said. And why is that, Ms. Letterhouse? He'd really put the Z in Ms. Because I was actually wanting to talk with you about us maybe having to stop talking to each other. And I have forgotten all about that, I'd said. And he paused. Jamie, he'd said after a moment. 
Yes, I'd said. Is there any way we could maybe not do that just yet? Charles had said. It just, it just, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty good at my sales job. Yeah, but it's just that talking to you is like slicing through melted butter. It's easy. Almost too easy. I feel the same way, I'd blurted, shocked at my forwardness. And it was like I was going down a roller coaster too fast. And normally I don't like roller coasters, but I liked this. The feeling of helpless, dangerous, breathless weightlessness. Do you realize, I'd said, that we've already been on the phone for over an hour? No way, he'd said. Yes, I'd said, and I have to go. All right, he'd said, just five more minutes. But those five minutes gave way, dissolved into another 30. And within that segment of the conversation, I found out that Natalie was now a highly successful real estate agent in Texas. And for a moment, I thought, well, at least the bitch never married and found zero success in her personal life. And then Charles said she was pregnant and engaged to some ex-football star. In some ways, life never becomes fair. Can we talk again tomorrow? Charles had asked when finally I had said that I really, really had to go. I hadn't added that Tim was expecting me. Instead, I would paused, swallowed. Charles, I would said, I don't think I can. As friends, he'd interjected. Just as friends, just, just two friends on the phone. That's it. I would paused again. Well, we have to have some rules. I'd said finally. Another 15 minutes later, we had established some kind of rules designed to keep everything on the up and up. What those rules were, I can't recall right now. Can I just say one thing? Charles had asked before we hung up. It's kind of against our friendship rules, but we'll just strike it from the record. Well, what is it? I'd said. It's your voice, man. <laughs> what about it? I'd said. Jamie. Your voice is so sexy. The silence had hung electric for a moment, and I'd had to clap a hand over my mouth to stifle the manic giggle threatening to erupt loud and joyous because Charles Richardson thought my voice was sexy. And then he'd added, but we strike that from the record, right? Right, I'd managed. Now, Charles texts, I'm going to show you what your voice does to me. Jamie, LOL, how? One, two, three bubbles, one, two, three bubbles, one, two, three bubbles, as he's responding since he too has an iPhone. And then nothing. His response disappears. What happened? Does he not think my voice is sexy after all? Because before him, no one had ever said that to me. Jamie, you have a clear voice. Yes. Jamie, you enunciate well. Yes. But sexy? Uh, Miss Letterhouse, can we talk for a moment? I snap up my head at the sound of Miss Bix, the high school principal's voice. We've just gotten out of a department meeting held in my classroom, a meeting held in my classroom because I am the English department head, a meeting to which I contributed absolutely nothing because I was texting as unobtrusively as possible with Charles the entire time. But really, who gives a shit about whether Beloved is read before or after Anna Karenina? Well, normally I do. This year's focus for our seniors, the focus I painstakingly, and yes, ironically, created this past summer, is women behaving badly. So the order of books we read does matter. 
Normally, I can debate that kind of topic for hours, and that's exactly what the rest of the department did as I nodded and offered the occasional and meaningless, that's true, statement here and there. We're reading Anna Karenina first. I think that was a consensus. But the memory of talking to Charles live, live, like on the phone for days in a row for hours at a time, is seared like a great steak into my brain. And I haven't eaten steak in years, but that's what talking to Charles is like. It's like eating the perfect ribeye with all the fat marbled in and burned around the edges, the flesh delicate and tender and juicy. I stopped eating red meat years ago because of all the hormones, yes, but also out of protest for how the animals are killed. The mothers are slaughtered right in front of their babies. But now, I want a ribeye. Jamie, um, can we come in? Now, both Ms. Bix and Mr. Collins, the headmaster, are standing at my door. Shit, why is he here now too? Yes, I say brightly. Of course, come in, come in, come in. Shit, when I'm caught off guard, I always repeat myself way too much. We're needing to run something rather unusual by you, Ms. Big says when we sit down. Sounds great, I say, upgrading automatically from my agreeable dealing with white people tone to only black person in the room crispness. But then my phone vibrates and with Pavlovian obedience, I look down at it and it's an image of a quite large and erect and brown penis. Oh my God, I shout. I almost dropped the phone. Everything okay? Mr. Collins asks. I like him. He's a nice guy and he's actually concerned. Yes, I say. Holy shit. Yes, I say again. I mean, yes, yes. Um, Everything is fine. Really, really fine, I say. Holy shit, his dick is huge. Bigger than what I'd even let myself imagine. Okay, I say out loud. So, I drag in a breath. His dick looks delicious. Oh God, oh my God, I sound like Sylvie or worse, Sabrina. Running something, I say. My words are burst. I slow myself down. You want to run something by me and I'm here to run or be, be run or my phone vibrates. Sorry, I say, L let me just, I turn it off. No more thoughts about Charles's dick. No more thoughts about Charles's dick. Ooh, Lord, wait till I show Sylvie this shit. Mr. Collins glances at my phone and then up at me. So we've been getting calls from parents about you, he says. Okay, I say. Have I ever thought about Tim's dick this much? I don't think so. Not even when we first started dating sophomore year of college and my whole world was Tim, 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 Tim. And we've received a call from the board about you as well, Mr. Collins goes on. The school board of directors, I ask. I look for Ms. Bix, who I now notice has her gaze planted firmly on Mr. Collins, and I look back to Mr. Collins. Why are parents and board members calling, I say slowly. Oh my God, do they know about Charles? No, no, not possible. Um, if this is about... I gulp for air, suddenly breathless in a whole different way. If this is about my giving the students their Sound and Fury papers back a little late this year, I can assure you that that kind of thing is not my norm, which I know you know. I'm afraid it's a little more complex than that, says Mr. Collins. Okay, 
I say, sweat springs on my forehead. Well, if the white parents are upset that we are teaching their eyes were watching God instead of Jane Eyre for the women behaving badly focus, I am happy to talk with them again. I am unwilling to play politics about this like I did last year. Ms. Biggs and Mr. Collins exchanged glances. I mean, clearly Janie is more of a badass than Jane, I go on. Although, of course, I can understand the power Jane demonstrates in her restraint throughout Jane Eyre. But still, I'm not backing down this time. I'm not sure how to tell you this, Miss Letterhouse. Mr. Collins' tone is grave. Because, quite frankly, we've never had a situation like this arise before. Oh, God. Oh, my God, they know. They've never had an English department head who was last year's Teacher of the Year cheat on her husband. They know about Charles. How do they know? But I can't get fired for infidelity, can I? It's just been text messages and, and conversations now, but that's it. That's really it. Look, I say, and my voice is shaking. If this is about Charles, how did you know we knew about Charles's involvement? Mr. Collins asks, frowning, and I put a hand to my heart and into my mouth. I'm going to throw up. And at any moment, Nathaniel Hawthorne will lead a mob into my classroom to slap a scarlet A on my chest and burn me at the stake. Oh, I give up. I can't hold it in anymore, says Miss Bix. Besides, I think she already knows. She winks at me, and then she and Mr. Collins exchanged glances again. You can't hold what in, I murmur, but the question doesn't make it past my palm. Mr. Collins grins. We wanted to be the first to congratulate you, Jamie, he says. For, for Charles? I whisper faintly. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you, says Mr. Collins. I move my hand away from my mouth. You want to congratulate me for Charles? I say more loudly. Now don't you try to give him the credit. Miss Biggs smiles warmly. He may have reached out to us, which is highly unusual, but you did all the heavy lifting to get yourself into this situation. My lower lip trembles. I did, I whisper, because it's true. I hadn't initiated contact with him, but I had welcomed it. Your daughter is so cute. That was the first thing I texted him in response to his first text to me, which was a picture of her. Don't look so upset, Mr. Collins says. Charles was just so pleased with all the work you did with Mary Alice last year that he wanted to do all he could to advocate for you. My mind swirls. Mary Alice, Mary Alice, Mary Alice, I repeat, trying to establish if I know a Mary Alice and how the fuck Charles knows her and why he called my fucking principal and headmaster to tell them about us, not that there is an us. Charles Wagner was your main advocate on the board since this is unprecedented in the history of the school. Ms. Biggs continues. Mary Alice Wagner, I taught her last year and Charles Wagner, her dad, is on the board here, I say. More out loud to myself than to Ms. Biggs and Mr. Collins. <laughs> Very good, Jamie, Mr. Collins says with a chuckle. And you can thank him for his support in making you the very first teacher in the 123-year history of Breckenridge Academy to be named Teacher of the Year by your students 
twice in a row. So this wasn't about Charles. And they don't know. They don't know I am an adulteress, even if only in mind and word. A newly wanton woman I don't recognize who masturbated last night to the sound of another man's voice and came harder than she ever had in all the years she's been with her husband, who just minutes ago was salivating over a picture of another man's penis, who even now is wanting to know the taste of it on her tongue. But they don't know. The relief and the guilt are so intermingled, so profound, so whole-bodied, that I cannot move. Miss Biggs looks at me with concern. Are you all right, Jamie? She asks. You look as though you may faint. But I do not faint. Instead, I burst into tears. Charles, can you talk now? Jamie, just got out of a meeting, shaking my head. But I can talk in five. Charles, why are you shaking your head? You okay? I smile. Tim wouldn't have asked that. He would have said, oh, okay. And if I'd pressed him about it later, he would have shrugged and said, well, let's talk about it now if you want to talk about it, babe. And I mean, I guess that's not a bad response. Okay, I know it's not bad. I know that. Jamie, yeah, I'm fine. Charles, you are fine. Fountain again in my panties, just like that. Jamie, lol, you are so silly. Charles, why you can't take a compliment? It doesn't even bother me that he misspelled compliment, spelling it with an E in the middle instead of an I, or that he's kind of breaking our rules. A few minutes later, I'm in my Prius. I call Charles and he picks up on the first ring. Yo, you good? He asks, and even with the remnants of tears on my face, I grin at the sound of his voice, rough but sweet. Better now, I say. A word, says Charles. A word, I repeat. I wave at Mr. Collins as he climbs into his Lincoln. Word, Charles imitates me. He chuckles. You so prim and proper how you say everything. Oh, hush, I say, laughing now. And how does Charles do this to me? Just minutes ago, I was crying. I mean, I was able to play it off as tears of joy in front of Ms. Bix and Mr. Collins, but still, it's crazy that now I'm fine. It's like it was all a bad dream. Man, I swear to God, says Charles. I wish we talked in high school. How come we ain't never talked then? I just mutter, I don't know, because even though his words thrill me, I know he simply never would have known I was alive in high school. We existed in parallel universes. I was in AP classes and was president of the National Honor Society and Beta Club and the yearbook editor. And he was in regular classes and was voted best looking, best dressed, most athletic and class clown. He also was Natalie Parker's boyfriend. As I've already mentioned, Natalie was gorgeous, the absolute prettiest girl in school. This didn't stop Charles from messing with a lot of other girls, including many of Natalie's friends, but they were a beautiful couple. My crush on him had been desperate and massive. 
but Charles had never looked at me, except once. I had been taking pictures of the basketball team at practice because Aaron Haskell, the yearbook photographer, was out sick and we needed to get all the pictures done. When I was finished, I stood in front of the snack machine by the gym, deciding between a Twinkie and a Snickers bar when I heard behind me, Move, dipshit! I turned to see Treshawn Denver, the basketball team co-captain, standing behind me, sweaty in his practice shorts. He motioned impatiently with his hand. I gotta get something to eat, he said. That's when I noticed Charles walking up behind him, shirtless. I was rooted to the spot. Hey, man, I'm gonna need you to move your special ed ass out the motherfucking way, Treshawn said, louder now. He waved his fingers in my face. Damn, can you hear? I know you can see with them big-ass Coke bottle glasses you got on, but can you hear? I turned my eyes back to Treshawn. Well, we both know you can hear with them big-ass Dumbo ears you got, I said. Now back the fuck up and wait your motherfucking turn, bitch. Okay, that's not what I said. It's what I said later when I played the event over and over and over and over and over again in my head that night in my bed. But that's not what I said then. No, what I said was nothing. What I was doing was being about to cry. Treshonda started laughing. Hey, Charles, can you tell this mute bitch to move? I don't want to put no hands on nobody, but a nigga got to get some bugles before we go back in. I'm hungry as fuck. Charles had strolled up, a towel in hand, his abs a Ripley eight-pack, his chest big and well-veined, his smile easy and wide on both of us. Nigga, leave this nice girl alone. He grabbed Treshawn in a headlock, turning him from me and walking him back to the gym, but flashing me an apologetic grin over his shoulder as they retreated. And I'm sorry this ignorant-ass piece of shit was bothering you. He knows he can't have no food right now, but he ain't got no sense. But that ain't got nothing to do with you. Okay, nice girl? Treshawn had mumbled something I couldn't hear, and I'd stood there, transfixed, and Charles had called again from down the hall. We sorry, okay, nice girl. His laughter had floated down to me, cloaked my shoulders for the briefest moment, and then dissolved like vapor in the silent hallway. I'd stood there for the longest time. Okay, I'd finally whispered. I'm serious, Charles says now. You would have been good for me. <laughs> Maybe so, I concede. So, uh, how's Tim doing? We have all our spoken rules for conversation, but one of our unspoken rules is to ask about each other's mates fairly early in the conversation, because by acknowledging them and thus acknowledging their existence, we're really just being friends to each other. Tim is Tim. I say, great, supportive, awesome, excited about the new insurance product at his company. Okay, says Charles. What's the product? Um, I, I have no idea, I say. <laughs> okay, says Charles. And how's Gina, I ask. Gina, Charles exhales hard. Gina is who she is, man. I say zig, she says zag. I say left, she says right. Same shit it's always been. I'm sorry, I say. It ain't your fault, says Charles. And it can't be helped. He sighs again. Been this way since we met. 
then why I start, but then I add, never mind. Nah, it's okay, you can ask, says Charles. It's what I like about us. I mean, it's what I like about when we talk. Charles corrects himself quickly. But I can't stop the quick flash of satisfaction I feel. He said us. You want to ask why we got married? He asks. It's none of my business, Charles, I say, and I don't want to intrude. You're not intruding, he says. You're never intruding, Jamie. I try not to feel special and fail. But anyway, Charles goes on. We just, we got on that track, you know. I was moving up in my sales job. We've been together for two years and all her sorors are getting married. And she's looking at me like, what's up? And then she gets pregnant or I should say we get pregnant. And her family is super religious. So that was a wrap. And then, you know, my baby girl's bouncing in my lap and I'm trying to talk about splitting up because neither of us is happy. And we both know deep down we were never happy, happy like that. And Gina's crying. And then Charles's voice trails off for a minute before he goes on. And then next thing you know, we're pregnant again and we lose it in 17 weeks. Oh my God, Charles, I say. I'm so sorry, I didn't know. No, of course you didn't know, he says. But we'd already told everybody at 14 weeks and I can't leave her like that then, you know? She needed me and I needed her too. And it was good for a minute because it's like we were on the same team again for a minute. And it's all about, let's try for another one. And we agree not to tell anybody until we're further along. And it's this big secret that's just between us. And we make it all the way. And next thing you know, it's four of us. And we're even more tired than we were before. And it was just DeAsia. And it's like, well, how unhappy am I? Is it really worth leaving? It's hard to think about when it's three of you. When you turn around and have another one, it's damn near impossible. Can't just leave like that. I told you how my father did me. I remember, I say. Well, I won't do what he did. Charles says it quietly. I'm going to be with my kids every day. Every day, no matter what. I understand, I say. And the silence is heavy. Do you think she'd be spiteful and keep you from seeing your kids if you left? I ask after a moment. And I know we both know I'm saying she to avoid speaking Gina's name aloud. Nah, says Charles. I mean, I don't think so, but you never know. Her dad would shoot me. I start to chuckle, but his tone is serious. He never liked me, thought I was too pretty. Hmm, is all I can say to that. So she's 100% opposed then, I ask, to separating? Yep, says Charles. Have you tried counseling, I say? Charles half chuckles, half grunts. Now that shit right there, biggest joke ever. And yeah, we went. Went to two therapists, as a matter of fact. But can't nobody fix what don't really go together. Well, maybe she's not that unhappy, I try. Oh, she's unhappy, says Charles. But Gina would rather be unhappy together forever than try for the chance of happiness apart and possibly end up alone says Charles, and she won't admit it, but she don't want to be embarrassed. So you just keep going. She posts pictures on Facebook with all of us smiling. She sends out Christmas postcards with all of us smiling. 
We figure out who's getting DeAsia to and from soccer practice. We figure out the last time CJ's diaper was changed. She says she's too tired to get her hair done or cover up the gray that's coming in or put on some makeup or go to the gym or go out somewhere or fuck. I jack off in the bathroom. Oh, shit. I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean. It's okay, I say, because I'm not sure what else to say. It's just Charles sighs hard again. It just is what it is, man. Silence. I'm sorry, I say finally. It's all right, says Charles. Maybe it's just a phase, I say. Maybe you're just going through, you know, an 11-year itch. Kids definitely can do that to a couple. I read that all the time. Have you and Tim ever been through something like this? Charles asks. Well, I mean, we've had some intense disagreements at times, I say. And inexplicably, Charles laughs and so do I. (laughs) I'm serious. We do. We have before. What? He wants Outback and you want Ruth's, Chris? Charles jokes. Tim would be happiest at the Golden Corral Buffet because it's cheaper than both of those options, I say. And instantly I regret my words because I don't want to talk bad about Tim. It's good in some ways that he's so cheap, or frugal, rather. Spend thrifty. Jamie, says Charles. Yes, I say. Do you know how hard it is to admit you knew you were making a mistake? as you were standing in the church and she's walking towards you and everybody's looking at you like you should be excited. And you're not not excited, but you're not like, well, anyway, better yet, do you know how hard it is to admit you knew you were making a mistake when you proposed? And you keep hoping that as things go along that that nagging feeling will go away? And the crazy thing is, sometimes it does. Sometimes it's like, it's not even there and never was there. And you think you made the whole thing up in your head. And that's when you want to take a selfie together and post it on Facebook. And you get hundreds of likes because that's what people like to see. And then you watch this person brushing their teeth in the morning. And you just like, she ain't it. You love her with your whole heart. But you just know she ain't it. But you don't want to feel that way. So you just push through and ask if CJ's cough has gotten better. Or he starts crying or DA just starts crying. So you don't have to deal with each other and it's a relief and you just keep going. Wow, I say, because I don't know what else to say. Did you ever feel that way about Tim? Says Charles, like maybe it was a mistake. I think for a moment, I don't know, I say finally. But I don't think so. But Tim and I met our freshman year at North Carolina, started dating when we were 20 and got married when we were 24, right after I finished grad school. So outside of a couple of casual boyfriends before him, he's really all I've ever known. Sounds like y'all been happy, though, says Charles. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd say so, I say. You know, we go on our vacations when he gets his bonuses. My voice trails off and... My words hang in the ensuing silence. And then, as if I've summoned him up, Tim texts. Hey, babe, he says. Meeting's about to start. And instantly I'm thinking, what meeting? And then I'm slapping my forehead. Fuck, the neighborhood association meeting, of which I just became president, and I fought that bitch Deborah to become president. Fuck. Man, I'm sorry, Charles is saying. He chuckles. I feel like I'm going on and on about how bad my life is, and it really isn't. 
I have two beautiful kids and a beautiful house and a wife who loves me and my health and a good job. And I'm not trying to come off as complaining all the time. You're not, I say as I type and semi-lie to Tim. Shit, caught in immediate school. Can you talk about the basketball nets for me there? You know Deborah's going to try it. Okay, saying I'm in a meeting is a pretty complete lie. It's just that I can talk to you in a way that I can't talk with anyone else, you know? Says Charles. I do, I say, biting my lip as I take in Tim's immediate reply. Sure thing, babe, he texts. You know, Deborah's just mad that you beat her in the election and now she's VP instead of president. Tim, but I got her. Tim, teamwork makes a dream work. So uh, since you've been asking all the questions, let me ask you one now, says Charles. I close my eyes to the cascade of guilt that washes over me as I send Tim back a smiley face. Shoot, I say. So, I hear the smile in Charles's voice. So, I repeat, grinning slightly despite myself. You just not going to tell me what you thought, he says. My face burns. Thought about what, I say. And just like that, all thoughts of Tim, of Deborah, and the Neighborhood Association meeting, of the basketball nets Tim and I wanted replaced, even finding out that I'm Teacher of the Year again. Embarrassingly, all of that drains away like it was never there. All that's left is what Charles is talking about. You know what I'm talking about, says Charles. The picture. The picture I got while talking to my principal and headmaster, that one, I say. Charles laughs. Oops, he says. I almost dropped the phone, I say. I'm sorry, says Charles. No, you're not, I say. Well, you right, says Charles. I'm not, but what did you think? Um, I, I, I don't know, I stammer. You think you could work with that? Charles asks. Charles... I start, okay, okay, says Charles. You right, you right, and I'm sorry. I, I know it was against our rules. It is totally against our rules, I say. My bad, Jamie, says Charles. And he sounds like he feels bad. I shouldn't have sent that. No, you shouldn't have, I say. We said we'd be friends, he finishes for me. I know, and I'm going to respect that because I respect you. You're a good woman, Jamie. You're a real good woman. Thank you, I say, and then I add, it sounds like Gina is too. Mm, she is, says Charles. I know it deflates him that I said her name. You can't send me anything else like that, Charles, I say. I can't, I just, I really can't. You ain't got to say nothing else. I get it, says Charles. It was just a moment of weakness. It's just like, you know how long it's been since I've been excited about anything outside my kids. I know what you mean, I say, because I do know what he means. And it's like, you bring something out of me, Jamie. Even though it's just over the phone, it's something. Like, it's something, you know? I pause, and then I say, I do know, because I do. Like, I don't want to talk to nobody else about this kind of stuff, 
And Gina, she'll try to listen, kind of, but she ain't really trying to hear it. She's tired all the time, and I know she's tired all the time. And talking to you now, it just makes it easier for me to go home and be cool with her no matter what she's on, says Charles. Well, thank you, I say. No, 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 thank you, says Charles. And you write about the pictures, no more of anything like that, I promise. I believe you, I say. You see, that's, that's what I'm talking about, says Charles. I wouldn't get that from Gina. It would be a bunch of, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. I don't even want to get into all that. I just want to lead this conversation feeling good inside like I've been feeling these past few weeks. Well, thank you again, I say. And I feel good inside too. Thank you again, Jamie, says Charles. When we get off the phone, I try not to look at the picture. I really do, but it's right there. And his dick is different from Tim's. I mean, of course it's different from Tim's, but it's just so different. Namely because it isn't Tim's. Sometimes I don't even think of Tim as having a dick anymore. It's like all of his body is just one thing that comes all together, all in one piece. And it's all nice. Like, it's nice. Nothing is wrong with any of it. Or I should say, everything is good about it. Same thing with sex. It's nice. It's good. There's nothing particularly wrong with any of it. I don't mind that we do the same things, and neither does Tim. That was actually one of the things I liked about sex with him in the beginning. It was predictable and pleasant. No, no. It was predictably pleasant. I knew it was going to feel good. Who could mind knowing something was coming that was going to feel good? But looking at Charles's dick... It's totally different. It's like this separate thing, something separate from him that I just want to do things to in a way I never have with Tim. I forward the picture to Sylvia with the text, girl, and the follow-up text, delete, but I had to show you, and a final text, but please delete. And I stare at the picture again, memorize it, Memorize every bit of that picture. Exhale hard and delete it. And then I delete the trash. Tim's dick, Charles's dick, dick pics, oh my. Well, thank you for listening to episode nine. And so this week I'm asking y'all to do one thing and that is to tell one person about episodes whom you know would like it. I feel like my readership and listenership is going to grow based on the readers and listeners I already have. So that's all I'm asking is for you to tell one person about it and tell them to go to realepisodes.com to start reading or listening. And I will see you next week with episode 10, which will be Sylvie's episode. And Trey has kind of been ghost since Sylvie told him about the baby. So let's see how she handles that in this episode. So make sure you come back. Y'all be well. Take it away, Arden. If you want more info from my mommy, please visit LizzieCookless.com. Deuces!